I do think that this share shift is real. And I think it's likely something that even post-vaccine, you will see continued interest in high quality online. That's my point. You know, I believe this will stick around. Hello everyone and welcome to the EdTech Podcast. My name is Sophie Bailey and our mission is to improve the dialogue between ed and tech for better innovation and impact. We made it to episode 200. Hooray! So my plan this summer was very much to be on maternity leave, but what with coronavirus and online learning and ed tech exploding by over 200%, that's gone a little out the window. And so, on my walks with baby Elliot, I've been plotting how to make sense of this moment for educational technology. The new plan I came up with was to reach out to the CEOs of some of the biggest global edtech companies to ask them what the past few weeks have been like and where they think this new world is going. In the first of these new conversations, I speak to the CEO of 2U, Chip Palsek. We talk about why the university campus isn't going to disappear anytime soon what makes high-quality remote learning, and what it's like to experience the highs and lows of being an edtech CEO and entrepreneur. As every leader knows, along with ambitious goal-setting also comes pressure, or as Stormzy and Shakespeare say, heavy lies the crown. But where too often the false dichotomy of university versus edtech is put forward, Chip is refreshingly candid about supporting the university mission. So, I hope you enjoy this chat. Thanks to everyone who sent in listener questions, and here we go. Hello everyone, today I'm joined by Christopher Chip Halsek, CEO of 2U. Put simply, 2U have been one of the leading forces in getting universities online. Or if you want to put them in a box, think online program management, which has an estimated market segment value of 7 billion US dollars. In May 2012, Forbes named 2U as one of the 10 startups changing the world. In 2014, Inc. Magazine named 2U one of 10 tech companies helping humanity. And in 2016, 2U was listed as a most innovative company by Fast Company. Chip is a seasoned edtech entrepreneur, having run many companies previous to 2U, following graduation from the George Washington University in 1994, incidentally when I was merely nine years old. The 2U journey is one of high adventure, and it hasn't always been easy, but as Chip says himself, every day's a holiday and every meal's a feast. So I'm really looking forward to getting stuck into this interview and finding out more about Chip, 2U, and ensuring there is no back row in the future of education. So hello, Chip Palsek. My first question to you is, how has 2020 been for you so far? Well, first, what an intro. <laughs> I loved it. Uh, so 2020 has been um, one of the most unusual uh, years that I that I certainly have seen in my career. It's been crazy. Uh, I would say uh, COVID is something that uh, certainly none of us really could have prepared for um, and has been... Uh, has created a tremendous uh, amount of disruption in higher ed. Uh, And for us as a company, you know, we're doing everything we can to provide the greatest uh, sort of structure and capabilities to our university partners. Uh, But 
Sophie, I, I mean, I've never seen anything like it. So we've probably talked to more provosts and presidents over the last couple of months than we had in our previous 12 years. I mean, it's it's been very intense. Yeah, I mean, that was one of my questions later on, actually, so we might as well jump in now. But, um, you know, in, in the early days of sort of the lockdown or whatever, however you're experiencing this crisis, um, you know, what were some of the conversations you were having with universities and, you know, on the other side of the business in, in sort of uh, corporate training CEOs as well, so the corporates? Well, I would say right out of the gate, like at the very beginning, um, you know, no one really knew what was going to happen. And so we had to do some rather urgent things just to be ready for a fully in- online environment. So yes, you're correct. We've, for 12 years, we've taken schools online. We've proven you can do that and be really effective. And I'm sure we'll talk about that in a moment. But we also had a, a, a pretty substantial physical component to our business. And we had to move all of that online so all of our boot camps, yeah, yeah. the majority of our boot camps were actually physical boot camps, and we had to very quickly move them online. And uh, that, you know, that took us, you know, about five days just to get them really up and running online, which we were very proud of at the time. And that, so the early days were just, you know, just just like everyone else, trying to figure out exactly uh, inside each part of the business what needed to be done to provide continuity to our to our partners. Uh, and then I'd say in the in the first couple of weeks of the original lockdown, you know, you saw different parts of the business react differently. And over time, what's happened, uh, you know, over the last, let's say, three months, each of the businesses has continued to get better and better. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, with one exception, maybe the the enterprise component where uh, we're selling products to the enterprise that has slowed a little bit, but the consumer product has done so well, uh, and enterprise is a very small part of our business. So I would presume that you'll see others in the enterprise field. Uh, you know, companies are hurting right now. So uh, when, when companies are uh, hurting, it, it, education might be one of the areas that they cut a little bit, and it's a very small part of our business, so it hasn't had much of an impact here. But beyond that, we've seen it continue to get better and better over time. That's really interesting because I think the, the narrative here before um, COVID in sort of um, higher ed and, and corporate is corporate training and technology is this sort of really fast growth sector. And, you know, yes, that's exciting. But in terms of resilience at, at different crunch points, they are, that's right. always go the way that you'd expect, I suppose. Well, I think, you know, related to that, I think what you'll see over time is I think COVID will have a huge impact on how employees are trained. And there was quite a bit of resistance for, for a long time uh, to online training for certain types of certain levels of companies, certain levels of people within a company. And now it's all obviously urgently and immediately online or it's not happening. So I think you'll, you know, I think you'll see this likely becomes an accelerant over time. Uh, but maybe for companies that have a large enterprise component uh, you know, I'm sure that that's created some challenges. It's small enough to to you that it really doesn't matter. And candidly, we're really starting to see it come back now. Uh, but I, I was just trying to give you a little bit of a timeline. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, the right out of the gate, it was clear that the short courses, you know, our six to eight week courses where you're learning something to stand out from the crowd, uh, those had an uptick immediately. Then over time, it became very, very apparent uh, that our degree side. Uh, where you've got longer form programs, 
takes a longer time for it to show up in the business. And the reason is people don't apply to a degree program on a lark. You know, it's a long process. And then when they apply, they pay for it over a long time period. And because we share revenue, it shows up over a longer time period. Uh, but enrollments have been pretty fantastic. And we think that's as much uh, related to the economy as it is to like the COVID impact itself. So, um, you know, we're just trying to do everything to keep our partners' uh, operations running as successfully as possible. Right now, the universities really, really need the revenue. Well, yeah, this leads me on to a very quick question. How many employees do you have, roughly speaking? So we have, uh, globally, we have about 3,800 full-time employees. Uh, We have a large number of part-timers. So our total employee base is about 7,000. So here in the UK, obviously, a lot of people had to start working from home. Is that similar experience where you are? Yeah, I should have said that up front. I mean, the first step out of the gate was to make sure our employees were safe and healthy and we had to get everybody home. Yeah. Uh, we, were, we went fully remote uh, and we are still fully remote and we will be fully remote certainly through the end of this year um, and maybe longer. It's working very well. Productivity is very high. I was going to ask, you know, how, how does that make you feel when suddenly everyone's uh, sort of working remotely and, you know, keeping everyone feeling upbeat and happy and managing in the circumstances, I suppose? So at 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time every day, we do what's called the daily dose of team time. It's 15 minutes. It's optional. It's not required. I am only the host, so it's turned a little bit into like my daily TV show. Um, <laughs> it's on Zoom. Venezuelan broadcast or something. Exactly. <laughs> Exactly. It's uh, it's fun. And, you know, like today I interviewed my board chair. Sometimes we have a faculty member come on. Uh, sometimes we have one of our partners, uh, a student from one of our partners. Sometimes we just do something very fun. Uh, so every couple of weeks we do a dance party. It's 15 minutes. And believe it or not, everybody's dancing and we have a DJ. Um, so we're trying to keep it loose. I think everyone does get exhausted by the nonstop Zoom meetings. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, it's there is definitely some Zoom Zoom burnout, um, but it's been super productive. There's some some great insight for anyone who's listening. Um, we've heard the same in terms of the importance of live sessions, to whether people are in sort of schools, universities, businesses. But um, anyway, I'll move on to my my first proper question. So. On Monday, 6th of July, uh, the U.S. Immigration and Customs Enforcement, or ICA, gave guidance that stated that international students on F1 and M1 visas may, I quote, not take a full online course load and remain in the U.S. Um, And so in reality, this felt a little bit like strong arming universities into delivering face to face instruction. Um, You've obviously got the risk posed by COVID and that affected roughly one million international students in the U.S., Um, bringing us up to date a bit more uh, recently on the 14th of July the ICE directive was rescinded following a lawsuit posed by Harvard and MIT so question is um, what do you make of this situation and what it says about the issue of value and quality in higher education so whether that's face-to-face or online well I mean before it was rescinded uh, before the lawsuit I I really thought it was just a terrible call Um, you know, the, the bad for bad for America, bad for the students, bad for the universities. Uh, American higher education has been an incredible export. Uh, UK higher education, as you know, incredible export as well. I mean, two of the best countries, and we need, in my opinion, we need to 
um, open our doors as much as possible to allow people to attend one of our great schools. I think the number of ways it pays off for people is not small, even just in terms of the jobs produced by people leaving a university and eventually starting something. It's just, it, it was such a bad call. Um, I, I, I applauded the uh, universities coming together to, uh, to, to, to sue. Uh, and I'm very pleased to see that, uh, that it's gone the other direction. My hope is that it's not too late. You know, I worry that there's been such instability thrown into it that if you were an international student, you were thinking about doing it, you know, right now, Canada looks a lot more appealing. Um, And so, you know, we'll see if that's the case, but, you know, a large number of our partners and a large number of universities really do rely on a sizable population of international students. Now, to be clear, it's actually a really small part of two use business. Mm. Um, and, and the reason is, uh, we, one of the things we often say is why should you pick up your life, quit your job and move to attend a graduate program? If you can get everything you were going to get, uh, from the online program, uh, but you can stay in your local area and, you even get the socialization that you might not in a typical online program because of the way we do it. Uh, well, that that value prop historically hasn't worked as well for inter- international students because typically uh, many of them want to come into the country to experience uh, being firsthand, you know, someone in Boston or in New York or in California or Florida or wherever they are. Um, so it's a, it's a, it's been a pretty small part of our business. The inter- international population. Uh, in our degree programs is rising. Uh, And so we'll have to see what happens. Um, But we do really believe that it was the right call uh, to, to sue and really pleased to see that this went the university's way. Uh, You know, I do think it was a, a bit of a tact to push schools to open. And now you can see that not only are some schools uh, opening, but you know, you have quite a few that are reconsidering their decision very real time. That's also happening in the States right now. Uh, so just about every day, there's another school that you read of that's going fully online. Really, really interesting. And I mean, here we had sort of headlines like Cambridge University is going fully online. And when you look into it, it's pretty much like a hybrid approach, like a lot of the universities here. Um, and then the other thing is, is that, and I'd be really interested to hear kind of what you're seeing, but here so far, the, the kind of uh, deferrals aren't as high as people expected. So it's almost like the students are sort of hedging their bets with multiple universities. And I'm sure it's, a, uh, you know, the different system, so it might be slightly different um, play where you are. But um, there's still high interest and it's, it'll be September when suddenly we see what, what the real picture is. But uh, I'd love to hear what you're seeing. So one thing we could point to is um, in about a week, we will release a survey that we did that's actually quite large. Um, So to you, we're getting to a pretty big uh, scale at this point. And uh, we talk to so many prospective students, not just actual students, but people that are applying to programs that we really wanted to gauge whether or not we were seeing any kind of share shift. And the survey results were really, really powerful. So uh, 86% of the prospects actually indicate that their decision has been impacted by COVID in terms of online versus on campus. So I actually think that that is pretty profound in terms of what it means long-term. 
So people are just considering online programs more standard course now than they used to. And I don't think that's going to change. You know, one of the one of the big challenges for 2U in our history is preconceived notions of online education have always been our biggest problem. Yeah. People generally think it stinks. Now, unfortunately, this remote learning that was done in the spring wasn't very good. But you can do something really good if you really put in the time and the money to do it. Uh, and it's hard. But if you and whether you do it with a company like 2U or not, high quality online instruction is not new. So I think this share shift is going to permanently change the way people are thinking about programs. And you might know that we even have our first undergraduate program launching here in the fall with uh, the London School of Economics yeah, right that. near you. Yeah. And it's off to a great start. I and mean, we haven't announced the enrollment number to start the, the program, but it's, you know, it's, it's well above our original plan and obviously very good timing. And what's been surprising is the percentage of sort of traditionally aged students. So not just the adult learner, you have a lot of people in their early 20s that are applying to the program. So I do think that this share shift is real. And I think it's likely something that even post-vaccine, you will see mm. continued interest in high quality online. That's my point. You know, I believe this will stick around. We'll um, see if I'm right. Yeah, we should do a call in, uh, well, hopefully in no longer than about a year, if all things go well. Uh, so I've got here, and um, it's interesting what you said about uh, corporate training or enterprise being a, a smaller part of the business. So it may change the question slightly. And part of this may have already been covered. But um, I've put here, to you has had a really fascinating couple of years. Um, if I have my homework correct, it was set up in 2008 by yourself. John Katzman, who has been on the podcast before, and Jeremy Johnson. Um, the company then experienced years of high revenue and user growth as it developed its quality offering as an online program manager for universities. Um, a bit further down the line last year um, was a slightly more tricky 2019 amid increased competition and lowered student enrollment expectations. Um, and there was much being made of an over 50% stock price drop after slower earnings were announced. At that announcement, uh, you talked about future-proofing to you by building more around enterprise as well as higher education. And if we now shift forward to where we are today, COVID has hit and online learning and connectivity platforms are booming, as we know. So in one estimate, McKinsey have reported that educational software sales are up 223%. Um, huge swathes of the global workforce and prospective student population are seeking help online in response to a change learning and working landscape, which we just talked about. And TU revenues, the latest that I saw, were up 44% year on year. Um, so what I've put here is, how do you feel about the last 12 months when you look back? Um, <laughs> what's it like being an EdTech CEO at the moment? So we talked about that a little bit. And, and finally, how do you think TU is positioned to deal with this new world we live in? Well, I mean, 2019 was one of the more complicated in our history. Uh, so I've, I've been doing this 12 years and... 20, 2019 was not a good year for the company, although, you know, I do think that we positioned ourselves very well going forward. So one of the high points of the company's year was we acquired a company called Trilogy Education. Mm. And Trilogy has since become a key part of our story in terms of workforce development. About a third of Americans say that they'll need to be retrained to get their next job. So it's a big opportunity. It's a worldwide opportunity. And we do think it positioned us 
uh, really strongly for the future. So um, one of the key tenets of our approach to the space, our vision for higher education is that it needs to meet society's critical needs. And in doing so needs to be a whole variety of different things, high quality, blended and connected. We talked about bringing people online. Well, that's super obvious, but it, you know that in, in many ways, that's 10 years ago. Uh, now it's about connecting them, uh, meeting the education need wherever they are through a variety of different means and weaving it into the fabric of their lives. Uh, one of the components is relevance. And we do think that technical training is something that universities really struggle with. And one of the reasons we love Trilogy is Trilogy opened the door for 2U to do um, really incredible technical boot camps that offer people a great opportunity to land a job in coding or in fintech in different areas. So uh, 2019, uh, Trilogy was a great part of it. As a public company, I would tell you that we're one of the few ed tech public companies. And so, you know, I would say some days everything that we do is out there. Um, so we're obviously written about a lot. And uh, as a public company, there's no place to hide. Everything you do is front and center in front of everybody. And I could tell you uh, most of the time being a public company has been great. There are times where it's tough. Uh, that earnings call in that period was certainly one of those. Uh, and if I go back, would I do things differently? Sure. But uh, what's great is if you fast forward to today, I actually think the company's never been this well positioned. We have a large growing degree business. We've expanded into undergraduate degrees, not just with the London School of Economics, but with our second partner, Simmons University out of Boston. And um, we have now a very large short course business that is up significantly in COVID. And we have a boot camp business that we really think is a huge part of the future. So, uh, but it was tough. It was a tough year, yeah. and it was a tough earnings call. Um, I, uh, you know, it's uh, it, it that part's not fun. No, no, no. And I bet a lot of. I, I mean, I, th I find it really interesting because you know a lot of people now will will. I think as you talked about the two phases, so you've got early lockdown, everyone's responding, and now it's sort of an ongoing, continuing sort of new normal as everyone is saying but it, it, it is possible that a lot of people as a result are um, experiencing these tough times and so I think you know the honesty of how to keep being a motivated leader is 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 really fantastic so the, but you know what yeah, let me take let me say something to that is that it was a tough time as a public company but the reality is the business itself was always pretty strong I mean unfortunately in, in the case of a public company you live against your expectations. So whatever you put out publicly, you have to live with. And, you know, as an entrepreneur in a startup, I mean, most entrepreneurs, most startups are putting out all kinds of news that, you know, doesn't have to be backed the way a public company has to be backed. Yeah. And so you kind of can't help it as like, as an entrepreneur, you think to yourself, you believe in what you're doing. So you want to put out these big forward looking statements, but you kind of have to live it to get it. It's a really difficult thing if you put out expectations and you miss them. So, uh, you know, we had done everything right for about five years as a public company. We had a really good run over about a five year period. And unfortunately, you know, 2019 as a public company was a really tough year and we own it. You know, I mean, I own it. I mean, I learned a lot about what I would do different. But really the business itself and what kept me as the leader going is the life-changing outcomes for the students. 
The partner set is doing very well. In general, our partners are very happy. We still haven't lost a single degree program. And, you know, we're changing the world. So we just had to stay at it. But when you live it that publicly, you know, for about a month, I couldn't go anywhere without everybody asking me about the stock price. I mean, everywhere, anywhere you go. Uh, so that was that fun? No. And, you know, my father said to me a long time ago, you're not as smart as they think you are on your best day. and You're not as dumb as they think you are on your worst day. Well, yeah. that was certainly relevant. I love the point about Trilogy because, you know, I've been uh, interviewing universities recently and I think a lot of them, how they're responding to perhaps a changed uh, value proposition is, um, you know, thinking about how they can make the career education uh uh, more robust and um, so I, I would imagine conversations around that part of the business are people are more intrigued I would think now. No doubt I mean you know Trilogy offers incredibly high quality accessible and affordable programs that teach people tech skills and you know it's it's critical for people to be able to actually sort of move forward the reskilling of the world uh, you know and what's pretty wild is 46 percent of the students are people of color uh, we recently announced a $3 million scholarship program for people of color in that particular part of our business. So um, it's something that is very timely. We need more of it, uh, you know, not less. And uh, we do think that you're talking about a, an opportunity for a university to stay central to a student's life. Uh, well, you can't do that without technical training. And Trilogy had done a really great job building this business, and now it's part a core part of the fabric of 2U. So um, talk of the scholarship, that brings me on to my next question, which is um, how is 2U responding to complex circumstances through pricing? Sure. I mean, we do think that scale is going to allow us to really help bend the cost curve back. And you can see that in some of our programs. So uh, Simmons University in Boston announced a 14% price decrease for its graduate nursing programs. And uh, 14%, you know, it's pretty considerable. And what was cool is not just the online program, but also the campus program. And that is purely because of the scale that we're bringing to the table for them. Uh, the London School of Economics undergraduate program is uh, affordably priced at about $25,000 for the full three-year degree. Uh, and we recently rolled out a payment plan on the bootcamp side that allows people to get the cost per session down to a, a level that, that many more can afford. And then we threw in the $3 million scholarship program. So, you know, we do believe affordability is a key part of what will make higher education meet society's critical needs um, and something we're dedicated to. Now, we also need the product to be sustainable. And so, the way we think of that is that when the student wins, the university wins, and then we win. And it's a it's pretty much a core tenet that's built directly into 2U and our model. Uh, so over time, we do like the ability to apply a deferred tuition program where students would be able to defer 50% of their cost until they've graduated from the program. Hmm. We're working on rolling that out with several different universities, um, but it's earlier days on that. You know, each of these things takes time. And the institution really does control it. So we have to work all these different opportunities through our partners. Uh, but we're all over it. We actually think uh, affordability is a key concern going forward. The reader or the listener uh, mentioning uh, that the length of time is a factor is also true. If you can progress through something faster, you actually can typically have lower debt burden. So 
creating good options for our students to succeed is a huge part of why, you know, we get up in the morning at 2U. And in terms of uh, pricing, the pricing, if I understand it, is, is higher for a sort of 2U in inverted commas degree versus, uh, you know, um, a MOOC, or if we think about MOOCs coming out of India, do you see those things as competitors or something quite different? Well, I guess it depends on, so like our short course business is, uh, the, the, the individual certifications are priced more like you'd see out of a Coursera or, or edX. Mm-hmm. Um, the degree side, most of our programs, uh, not all, but most offer really intense, uh, physical experiences also. So, uh, if you're going to attend a speech pathology program, you actually have to go into the mm-hmm. field. Yeah and work in the field. And so we've got about 60,000 different agencies under contract all over the world. I'm so glad um, you, you mentioned that, by the way, because certainly here when the government sort of said, you know, everyone's just going to work from home, you know, people almost had to remind them that, you know, part of the the real world and the lived experience, whether you're studying or, or working, you know, there are things still that you do have to do sort of in, in a physical capacity as well. So, And, you know, particularly as the world eventually gets to a post-vaccine status. Uh, you know, we, we're big believers in the physical campus also. We, you know, we, we do believe that they're pretty magical places. And so we've built all kinds of different things into our programs for students to participate in the campus in some way. Now, obviously, the vast majority of your instruction is done online. Um, but we do think that bringing people together to, to, to do things is a real positive, and we will get back to that at some point. Now, during COVID, we've hosted many different virtual graduations, virtual events to keep students uh, engaged. So, uh, you know, you got to do both. Yeah, I loved, I saw, um, I had an email from a university that had Steve Aoki, I'm not sure how to pronounce the second name, but big, big DJ at one of their uh, graduations online. Um, So it's really good to see people still, you know, making an effort and innovating and bringing that memorable experience. Uh, No doubt. The greatest education experiences of your life are when you were part of something bigger. And so we really believe that, you know, we believe in it. Uh, You know, becoming a part of the culture is really important. And we think, you know, you can do it both online and on campus. So um, we're coming to the last sort of 10 minutes or so of our recording. And I've got a few questions here from listeners and a few sort of rapid fire questions. So we'll aim, if, if you're up for it, for doing, doing some of those and uh, maybe a couple of minute answers or, you know, try and pack it in as many as we can, if that's OK. Let's do it. OK, let's do it. Ready. Um, OK, so questions from listeners. I've got here, um, how will OPMs look to make remote courses truly engaging and ensure course completion given the absence of educators face to face with students? So this is like an age old online learning question, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I think when you when you flip the classroom, People tend to think of asynchronous work as homework, and it's not homework. Mm-hmm. If you took a live class, and let's say it was going to be three hours, if you took half of that live class and you intentionally curated content that you want the student to learn so that when they come to live class, they're actually in an engaged setting. You know, they're, they're talking with their professor and their classmates about what they learned or doing exercises live that they might have learned on their own time. And we do that, you know, a single 2U course tends to have more video than a season of Game of Thrones. You're talking about a lot of content. 
But it's not just about video. It's about interactive exercises, readings. Now, it does take resources. So, you know, one of the reasons for our model, which, by the way, is definitely in higher demand now because the universities need the investment uh, where we invest up front and we share tuition revenue over a really long time period. So, you know, that in some ways, that's what, uh, Sophie, people have defined the OPM moniker around is are you taking a revenue share? I think that's unfortunate. Um, I don't love the OPM moniker, Mm. Uh, but, you know, that's what people call our space. I do find it interesting uh, as to why Coursera or edX are not called an OPM. What, what would you uh, because have they are, um, just out of interest. I mean, uh, almost anything but OPM. <laughs> yeah, too many industries. You know, it, it doesn't really make sense. You know, we we do we have many different models that we offer our partners, um, and ultimately, you know, we're helping. Of course, we're helping them go online. So, and are we managing online programs? Yes, we are for them, but it does imply somehow that the school is still not in charge. And I can tell you in our case is definitively in charge. Okay, brilliant. Um, Here's the next one. People talk about how much long-term change will happen, but there is always a pull towards what was normality. So how much will go back? You know, I mentioned the share shift earlier. I, I don't think we're going back. I think, you know, online education has been uh, you know, its biggest challenge has been getting people to to really give it a give it a chance. And what we're seeing right now is the kind of growth in our degree programs that I just think when you experience one of these the right way, it's so good. Uh, so whenever we've been able to get people to try, they love it. Uh, so I don't think we're going back. Now I do think that campus education is part of the story. So we're also not the company that believes that every campus is gonna go out of business. Right now there's a cottage industry of people saying how much of higher ed is going to be eliminated. Mm-hmm. And you know, we actually think there's so much need for global education uh, that, that you know, uh, we, we don't think the campuses are all going away. And of your new users that joined during this time, are you sort of seeing a pattern in terms of their demographics or how old they are, what, you know, whether they're coming from as perspective for traditional university, as it were, or for upskilling and reskilling for the world of work? Like, what, is there a certain pattern? Well, you know, the, what I would say is the, the bulk of our business, because of what we've historically focused on, is graduate programs. Mm-hmm. And then when you add in the boot camps and the short courses, the vast majority of people that we target with our programs are in their 30s or above. So there's a little bit of bias inherently in who the company has gone after. What I think has been interesting is in the one undergraduate program we're running today, we are seeing a larger number of people in their 20s than we expected. Interesting. So I do think that that shows that the current generation that is going to be attracted to higher education is going to want online options. Okay, so we're going to move to some rapid fire questions just to wrap up. Um, So what's your philosophy of life or what mantra do you live by? Well, you kind of teased it at the beginning. (laughs) So my my favorite line is every day is a holiday, every meal is a feast. And unfortunately, we tend to have to um, be reminded of it too often by something tragic. Uh, You shouldn't, you know, it shouldn't be that something tragic happens in your life and then you really realize how great every day is and how blessed we are to be on this planet every day. And, you know, I try my best to remind myself of that when I get up in the morning and it's hard because you get caught up in whatever it is that you're dealing with in your life. But 
um, you know, every day is a holiday and every meal is a feast. I love that. I, t- I totally relate to the point about, uh, you know, it coming from a tragedy can sometimes remind you, but yeah, you've got to, got to keep that in mind. Uh, okay. Here's a cheeky question. Uh, why is it that people who are setting up alternative higher education offerings always have a degree from a really good university? Well, I mean, that's an easy one for us because we support the really good universities. Like I'm, you know, I'm a, I got a, I, I got a Pell Grant to attend my school. Uh, I had never been out of Florida. Well, sorry, I'd been out of Florida twice. Uh, I, you know, like university completely changed my life. So yeah. for us, all even our alternative education is done through great universities. You know, and actually, I would even say even more cheeky to that to that person. Even more cheeky would be that you know, like I actually think many of the people that are starting an alternative ed company. Yeah. are not being directly honest with themselves that they had a great experience at their university. Like the whole notion of dropping out to start something is a terrible idea. <laughs> Love that. Okay. Um, well, I've done this one really. I've put, like any lead, you've experienced highs and lows. What advice would you give to anyone listening in to sustain their energy? So we've kind of done that one. Um, what are you missing right now in these current circumstances? So what permanent change would you like to see as a result of what's happening? And what are you missing? You know, I mean, I'd love to go to a pub with my team. Yeah. You know, a virtual happy hour is fun. But, um, you know, I think we all are missing one another right now. Um, you know, physical uh, physical interaction uh, is going to be really, really welcome when we can get there. So the team component of that, uh, you can do a ton online, but it would be great to have a beer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, our pubs have opened here, but it's yeah, still not quite the same. But, um, yeah, always, always a beer in the pub. You're, you're very welcome to a British pub whenever you come back next time. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Um, I'll take you up on that. Right. Last two questions then. Um, we try and keep positive on this podcast as such. What's the most heartening big idea you've seen come out of the pandemic? So obviously there's massive sort of paradigm shifts going on. Um, I'm just interested to know, uh, you know, which big ideas you're kind of inspired by at the moment. Hmm. I guess I would say... You know, I think um, you're seeing people in a grassroots manner really try to identify opportunities for them to improve themselves. Uh, one of the reasons you've seen this explosion in online learning is you're seeing that happen. Uh, I do worry about what it means for people with without the access. Mm-hmm. You know, and I'm, I'm terribly concerned that this is going to exacerbate the inequities in our world, but you, you asked me a positive question and I give you a negative answer. So I'm trying my best to focus on the positive, which is, you know, there are great opportunities for people to rescale themselves. We just have to make sure we don't leave people behind. Yeah. 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 But you're a true entrepreneur. So you're looking at, you know, which things can I make better? So that's good. Um, and the final question. So, um, what's the best thing you've heard or read during the crisis and what would your message be for students? So I guess there's a lot of talk about sort of the class of 2020 and, you know, what their opportunities are or how difficult the world may be that they're, they're sort of going into as it were. So what would your message be to them? I mean, this is really old school, but I just read Watership Down. Yeah, I love it. Uh, And I love it. And I love the adventure and I love the, the sort of notion of, um, you know, I, and I, it's all, I also find it funny that it's about rabbits, you know, but, um, but it, you know, this sort of the spirit and really, um, going for it, I would say to the entrepreneurs out there, you know, that go for the big idea, 
Like the world needs people tackling big ideas. To You was a really big idea and it was a small team and people thought we were crazy. Mm -hmm. And honestly, today it seems obvious, but it wasn't obvious at all. So um, for the entrepreneurs listening, don't let the skeptic win. Thanks so much to Chip for being such a great guest this week. If you enjoyed this conversation, please do drop us a rate or a view wherever you listen to your podcasts. And what else? If you want to share your message, why not place an ad in our upcoming episodes? Drop us an email at theedtechpodcast at gmail.com. We'll be back soon. But otherwise, that's it for this week. Stay busy, stay safe and keep smiling. Bye bye.